Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. And we are recording. Before we go ahead and start the episode, uh, because it is the week of Thanksgiving, I want to give a shout out to these people. A couple of days ago, I posted on Echale Podcast Instagram. If you guys don't follow it, make sure you guys follow it. Uh, but I posted, hey, like, if you guys want a shout out for Thanksgiving, let me know. And if you guys have a favorite memory of the podcast and episode, let me know too, so we can kind of like remember it. But Uh, let me go ahead and thank Sonríe2573 on Instagram, which is Elba desde Los Ángeles y a veces desde Mexicali. Muchísimas gracias por escuchar el podcast. Lily, Liliana Herrera de Norwalk, muchas gracias. Jasmine Arevalo de Los Ángeles, Norma de la Puente, Brenda Flores de El Mirage, Adriana from Bell, Veronica from Bell City, um, well, the city of Bell. And then Stephanie Rivera, she literally put here, when you said you quit your job and I freaked out thinking it was your current job, it was an episode that I basically did uh, where I was explaining that I had quit my job. Uh, but And to everybody else who listens to the podcast episode, I know who you are because you reach out to me on social media and you tell me how powerful the episode was or how much you enjoyed it. And you guys have no idea how each and every one of those messages um means to me just because imposter syndrome is real imposter syndrome will make you doubt that you know like hey this podcast isn't getting a lot of downloads aka okay? not a lot of people are listening and obviously you start doubting yourself but then there's that one ray of hope which is you who is on the other side of listening and messages me and says hey this podcast really helped me a lot or hey that was really good information so to you gracias um i know thanksgiving is <laughs> historically not appropriate and correct. So I want to go ahead and give power to the indigenous community and recognize the genocide that happened uh, on Thanksgiving. So I'm just going to go ahead uh, or the whole meaning behind it. But I want to just take it to like, I guess, the Spanish term, acción, día de acción de gracias. So like to give thanks. And I want to go ahead and say thank you. Uh, and that is the only way I would celebrate this, I guess, festivity-ish, um, just rooted on thank you. So thank you for being on the other side with me for a year, a two plus years, or even three, because I've been going on this for a while. Thank you for being on the other side. Thank you for taking your time to listen to this episode and to other episodes. Gracias infinitamente. No sé si me entiendes en español, no sé si me entiendes en inglés, pero gracias. And on today's episode, I'm talking with my best friend, uh, Emmanuel, who is a therapist. Um, and we talk about brotherhood, we talk about how we met, and we talk about his journey through sobriety. So if you or you know of anybody who is going sober or going through that journey, just know that you or they are not alone it is a process and it's also up to us as friends relatives 
you know, to accompany those people along the journey because it takes a village. It's not just a one-man show. And I think that's where a lot of people uh, forget that, you know, they're going through it, we're going through it, um, and we take it day by day. So without further ado, let's go ahead and listen to this week's episode of Echale Podcast with Emanuel. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Echale Podcast. My name is Jose Quintero. And in the spirit of being November and we're celebrating Thanksgiving and being thankful because I don't want to go into the history of Thanksgiving. So I'm just going to go ahead and say this is a thankful episode. I brought somebody very special to me, which is one of my best friends. If I don't want to be like the top of the top because I love them all equally, all my best friends. But welcome, Emmanuel Garcia. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you so much for joining. I would have asked Alex and uh, Jimmy to be, but they have a little bit of camera talking anxiety. Sure. Does this give you anxiety? Um, I feel a little nervous. I'm not anxious, but I feel nervous. All right. So we're going to just go ahead and just talk about being thankful the importance of a male uh, friendship we're gonna talk about how we met we're gonna go ahead and talk about the ups and downs because a lot of my crazy stories in college involved this guy a lot of my maturity and growing up involved this guy so uh we're just gonna dive into it and yeah if you guys have any questions because at the end of the day this is a podcast um echandole ganas a la vida one episode at a time so Right. So this is all about how do I say it? growing up and how freaking growing up in gratitude and being thankful. Yeah, that right. part. But then we're also going to get into some like really deep conversations just because we want to get to know you a little bit more as well. Like I I even have notes that I forgot the other day. But um, do you remember when we met? I do remember when we met. 2013 damn friendship of 10 years but do you remember literally where we were like where we were at when we met like what okay what is it there you go what what comes what comes to mind where we were at was the yard show oh okay that's interesting or was it or was it the social um, my first thought was the social. So for people who are listening and probably went to college and joined a Greek uh, fraternity or sorority, you have a thing called social. So social gatherings is where a fraternity and a sorority or sometimes two fraternities just hang out and uh, mingle, network. A lot of you guys know it as networking. Over there it was called socializing. Uh, but yeah, when we were interested in bringing on new members to the right. fraternity, yeah. we obviously had social gatherings with other sororities in order not just to kind of see like yo this is this is a socializing you could do at this fraternity yeah kinda yeah kinda well it was also just a place to mingle right and getting to know yeah like, people at college and of course with the fraternity and the sorority and things like that so so in this uh circle because uh, we all got in a circle and obviously like we kumbaya and whatnot, but we had to go ahead and <laughs> say like hey uh, tell me something interesting or a truth truth and no one lie or something like that. Or no, what's something that I you like? I think it to- was just fun facts about yourself. Ah, there you go. Fun facts about ourselves. So I remember when we were going through the whole circle and whatnot, um, it got to you. And what did you say? Do you remember? I remember saying a couple of things. But one of the things that I said that kind of startled everybody in the room was 
I like taking shits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. So imagine like you're trying to join a fraternity and then this guy out of nowhere, which, by the way, you see him now and we're going to go in, into, he is now a therapist. Like, uh, yeah. So just FYI, y'all. La cosa se va a poner seria. But you obviously dressed different. You acted different. Yes, like yes. you were straight out of high school. I was in my fourth year of, of college and here I am, my first year in the fraternity, even though it was my last year at college. Yeah. Tr like, yo, I, w I want like serious people joining my fraternity and whatnot. And here comes this 18-year-old saying, I like to take shits. We were like, <laughs> what the hell? Like, I well, mean, I was. I'm actually curious to know what it was that you thought about like my comment. Like, what did you and Alex, Jimmy, or the other bros at that time, like, what did you guys think about, like, me saying that? I can't speak for everybody else. I just know for me. Uh, well, I'm sure, too, though. Like, I mean, you guys talked about interests, right? And you guys yeah. got together as a group or whatever, and you guys kind of talked, like, oh, like, this interest is cool, this interest is not. I'm going like, to have to. I'm going to. Yeah. So, okay. So, again, in fraternity sororities, not all of them. Again, I'm speaking on our experiences as a fraternity at Cal State San Bernardino, Sigma Lambda Beta. Uh, uh, after we hung out with the interest after a while, yeah, the typical like, hey, I'm going to put the image of them on a screen. We did. And their yeah. resume and whatnot and filter like, do we like this guy? Do we not? Like, what do we all feel? I'm going to have to think about that one. But going back to your original question of like, yo, what did I think at the moment when you said like, yo, I like taking shits? Yeah. Uh, obviously, you didn't look like the type of person that I would hang out with in high school I, more so the type of people that i would try to avoid yeah you know i'd be like oh this guy just thinks he's too cool for everybody he did that just to be funny i fucking hate those guys like i'm sure <laughs> he was like a fucking creído fuck boy and, and honestly that just came from me just being authentic being myself at that time and just and letting it, people know who i was <laughs> and it's funny because as we got to know you it's like oh shit this guy really likes taking shits <laughs> like i actually took a shit right before starting this podcast <laughs> exactly <so. laughs> <laughs> so that was freaking interesting but sitting in i guess like our little room at the university kind of yeah. filtering things out uh i did say i do remember i said i don't know if he would take this process or this fraternity seriously mm. uh just because again i was going based off of your appearance like judging a book by its cover not yeah. necessarily like yo this guy is resilient the story behind every person uh, and it was just what I saw, and I guess I was projecting the people that I didn't like and I didn't hang out in college because they were either uh, a bullies to me or at the same time, they just thought they were just too cool for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I was all like, no, I fucking left high school yeah. uh, in the past. So it was it was uh, a sort of, now that I think about it, like a little reminder of like the thing that I left in the past that I wanted to stay in the past. Yeah. So... You know, as you say that, it was pretty common for me to hear that a lot. Like, people misinterpreting or judging or just, like you're saying, judging a book by its cover. Like, uh, people often thought less of me or thought that I wasn't very intentional or serious about school, X, Y, Z, right? So, like, now that you say that, I'm not surprised. Mm -hmm. But I do appreciate, like, you being aware about the projection part. 
because maybe it was just you projecting like you're saying I, I was i was and look at these terminologies that i have learned thanks to the therapists uh in in the friend group because i want to say well you're the only therapist but there's a couple people who went through the counseling program yeah uh so and just for context if i can share just what kind of therapist i am oh, so yeah. i am an adolescent therapist um i work primarily with kids 12 through 17 and their family so that puts me in a family therapist role um, and it's a mental health therapist because there is different types of therapies out there and different type of therapists. So just for context, so people can have more of an understanding where I'm coming from. Thank you for that. And hopefully we'll get into like your journey in therapy because that in itself is inspiring and motivational. But I remember going back to the fraternity and how we first met. And this is all about being thankful, thankful for friends, thankful for the universe, because I do feel at the end of the day, like, uh, God, the universe, whatever you you think, I think puts people that you may not be in agreement with. Yeah. Uh, but it's the people that you need at the time and at the moment. Yeah. Uh, again, I was coming from like a fraternity where I felt like I didn't really have a lot of male friends growing up. So the fraternity was very special to me because it was the first time that I was like, all right, these are male friends that I can trust. And I feel like I am completely myself around right um there was no trying to be anybody else it was just funny stupid me who was still going through the healing then your uh line brothers came along and um for those listening uh when you go through a process or a fraternity process you typically go and do it with a bunch of people and those people that you do the process with are your line brothers and then the people who are taking you through the process or educating you through the process that would be considered your dean so it's like your teacher and then you have an a dean which is the assistant teacher which is what i was mm -hmm. to him and uh, three other gentlemen and i remember that whole process the whole process in itself is uh changing and i don't want to go into that but do you feel like there was a change in you during the process yeah, well, definitely. I mean, it was like its own unique experience, you know, and there was a lot of change through that. Um, I don't know if you want me to go into that change or if you even want to dive into like the whole fraternity, Greek life or if you I don't want to divulge because we can't divulge <laughs> uh, uh, like what happens during the process. But uh, I, I guess more than anything, was there a before and after? Uh, in, in in your life? Like, do you feel like you matured a little? Do you feel like, yo, you know what? I feel like I developed, sorry to cut you off there, but I did develop through the organization a lot of, like, leadership skills, a lot of skills just in terms of, like, my professionalism. And in terms of, like, my personality, I, I feel like there was also a downfall. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like a lot of the ego and pride that comes with, like, representing a certain organization kind of exacerbated my... Mm -hmm my own pride and ego and it didn't come out so pretty no that's true when yeah. we would be drinking or when mm -hmm. we would have like uh this pride with our organization being better than the other or like just for more context you know just simply one-on-one -on -one conversation with people in a different organization whether it was a fraternity or sorority i always in my back of my mind thought that i was better right because of what i came to learn about pride and ego and representing our organization so yeah. i feel like in that sense it didn't really help me socially or emotionally like it didn't really help me with that but leadership skills 100 percent, like that definitely developed my my character my professionalism yeah. yeah and for context as well because the purpose of today is sharing 
stories to be thankful and again i am thankful for my friends and family in the fraternity but through the thankfulness we've also had to experience learning and growing within our own selves and i say that because uh like there is no perfect person and everybody comes with trauma and whatnot so yeah. when i w- joined this fraternity i definitely wanted a brotherhood i want i was seeking that so bad and i've always and we were just having this conversation i've always wanted somebody that to be like yo that's my best friend like or that's yeah. a really good friend that i can trust because i didn't have that growing up i felt like there was a lot of trauma in my childhood that i'll probably go on in another episode and talk about about, uh, what I was dealing with as a kid and then kind of growing up into adulthood and what led me to join a fraternity, which was the best thing that I could do for my mental health and sanity, even though it was the most beautiful experience I would not do again. Um, <laughs> but with that being said, there comes a point in the fraternity or in your process that uh, you get assigned, you get to choose. I'm just kind of leave it up in the air because it's different for everybody that you get in our Latino organization, a padrino. Yeah. A padrino, uh, which is somebody like a big brother for those people who have seen stereotypical fraternity and sorority. Or a mentor. Yeah, or a mentor, <laughs> right? Uh, so uh, I was placed with you and right. um, place chosen kind of like, oh, okay, cool. I, I think it was funny at the time because I was more so thinking like, oh, I want to be a padrino to Alexis, yeah. your your line brother. Uh, like you never really crossed my mind. Uh, and when I was speaking to Alexis, because I was like asking like, hey, have they expressed interest to somebody else? I remember he said uh, he's thinking like oh, of you. And I was totally shocked. So I want to know like why? <laughs> uh, sorry, I kind of blanked out there. Do you mind? Do you mind? <laughs> <laughs> this happens a lot. No, it's because like you were talking about my line brothers and then talking it just kinda took me back to like those times. So I was just reminiscing in my mind. So Imagine I totally being like a therapist blacked out. And then freak like I'm pouring my heart out over here and and you as a therapist, can you repeat that? I just blanked out. You triggered me. <laughs> <laughs> no. So was, I don't even want to get into that, but yeah, no, go ahead. No, but it was sort of when we were ch- when you guys were choosing padrinos or they were being yeah. chosen for you, yeah. I asked Alexis, hey, who is Emmanuel thinking of? And uh-huh. he said, oh, he's thinking of you. And I was like, oh, what was your thought okay. process behind that? I felt like um, at that time, from what I remember, you guys had given us an assignment. Like, think of like five people that mm-hmm. you would see as a mentor or padrino or whatever. And you were on that list, but you were on everybody's list. And <laughs> I'm just saying. But also, <laughs> I'm going to like stroke your ego down a little bit right no, now. Don't trip. You were like on my number four. Ah, oh. like it, my number one. I remember it was a bro. Shout out to that bro from Cal Poly. It was Tim. Oh, Tim. I yeah. remember I wanted Tim, and then I wanted Alex. Yes, everybody else wanted Alex. So, yeah. and these yeah. are just fraternity brothers. So, yes. like, just for context. Yeah, for context. We may or may not put a picture. Probably not without their authorization. But yeah, no, I, I feel like everybody wanted Alex at some point uh, because but he it's is because a great like brother. When you think about the fraternity and the faces that come. With that fraternity, it was you, it was Alex, and it was Jimmy. And I think it was also the circumstances at the time because the older brothers were graduated and were less present and they were trying to figure out their lives as well. Yeah, and it was just nice to see all three of you guys or just, you know, the faces that were kind of like the face of the fraternity at that time when I was interested, like just be so actively engaged on campus. Like people know, people knew of you. You were working on campus, like you had so many like resources, like all that, right? And it was just kind of inspiring and also like, well, I want to be that too. I want to be able to like 
know people. I want to be able to work on campus. I want to be able to just have that type of connection with other people. Yeah. And uh, now that we have like the foundation kind of set, this is where I think uh, the friendship really takes a, 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 a twist because again with other episodes that i'll probably take uh and talk about me as a person i felt like i was really good to everybody and sometimes pretty harsh because yes the fraternity does give you a sense of pride and confidence and a fuck you mentality to to everything and everybody because after going through a process like the ones that we uh, went through it, it does stroke your ego. And it's like, if I could do this, I could do anything. Yep. And, and and for a lot of us, we still think that way. We're just a lot more mature as to how we approach these things. But with that being said, I mentioned earlier, I didn't have a lot of male friends uh, growing up. Even mm-hmm. though I joined this fraternity and I had two line brothers that I did the process with, I wasn't really that close with them because one, they were younger. Two, I felt like I still had some healing to do. I was close with Jaime, Alex, and everybody else, but it wasn't like like they also had lives aside yeah. from mine. Like I wanted like my ride or die. Like let's go, let's go. As we would say, cause damage. Causando desmadre. That was our chapter. Ca- yeah, uh, yeah, Kappa yeah. Delta. Uh, so we would say causando desmadre. So then when you came along and you said like, oh, I want you to be my padrino. I took it as a, as a, and we were talking about this earlier, like. I wanted to be cared for as a child. That's something that I needed to heal. Mm -hmm. So whenever I had a child, quote unquote, I would want to protect and be kind of overbearing. Yeah. Uh, You know, Uh, and you came along and it was pretty much like that. We went from activity to activity to activity. So I could honestly say when we where we had enough of each other because it came a point where you're hanging out with somebody that you're like, I need some time. It was, I was a jealous friend. Yeah. I was a jealous friend where it's like, how come I didn't get invited? Right. What the fuck? Which would throw me off. It was, yeah. It was, yeah, it was a little like weird, you know, sometimes, but like, just so I just so because it sounds like for you, you joined the fraternity because you wanted brotherhood, right? Yes. Like you wanted like the, the connection with male. And I was with, and I was older. I was 21, 22 at the time. You were 17, 18. I was 18. Yeah. So when I joined, I actually my intention behind joining was like the networking, right? Oh. And like growing I like partying. <laughs> well, let me get there. It was also partying. Like I would see that like not only would you guys work hard but you would also party hard and i wanted that right like i wanted to find that balance of being able to party and still wake up the next day and get my shit done yeah and i really appreciated that about what i saw when it came to the brotherhood aspect of it i wasn't necessarily looking for that brotherhood or that bond i mean growing up i I did have friends and in high school i had like plenty of close friends and i always had like the my boys right Mm -hmm. and i think in college that brotherhood when i was joining the fraternity like it was also just to know more people and just have like more friends in college because a lot of my friends did not go to college i was the only one that left Mm -hmm. and so like although it was part of yeah just to meet more people it wasn't really like my main focus why i wanted to join the fraternity at that age when i was 18 yes no i i completely i i could see that because you would go party which you had all the right to but then i i mean and i was also the type of person that like I would wear my emotions and I still wear my emotions on my sleeves, but I just control them a lot more. Mm -hmm. But when I was mad, I expressed it. Right. And (laughs) probably not in the nicest way. And it was like the cold shoulder, stop talking. Again, it took a lot of time and healing because we would hang out. We would literally drive 
one in the morning and do some stupid stuff and then mm-hmm. come back and go to work the next day and do it all over literally Monday through Sunday. Um, and, and, and it was sort of because nobody else wanted to. So let me also clarify that. Not because like Emmanuel was the only one that wanted to do it, but we would invite other people. But then it just got to a point where n- nobody really wanted to go and nobody was like, yo, are you down to drive to San Diego? But we're going to come back right after mm-hmm. They're Like, nah, we're going to go over here. Hey, are you down to drive to Sac- Sacramento? And then we're going to come down. Uh, and it's like, yo, we're mm-hmm. we're in college. We should right. It's like adventure, explore, yeah. experience, right? And just like get out there and like just do as much as you can. Yeah. And nobody wanted to do it, so he was the only one down. So obviously, it was a natural gravitation <laughs> towards like, all right, let's do it. And then, um, and at that time, I was coming again from a place of just wanting to like, yes, party, but also explore and expand and just kind of mm-hmm. experience everything and anything that I could in college. Mm-hmm. Going back to like. After I joined the fraternity, because before I was very Mm self-centered, you know, I was very close-minded. I was also very arrogant. Mm -hmm. And once I joined and I had that connection and you became my padrino, like there was more vulnerability that started to show up, right? Yeah, Yeah, arise. So there was more vulnerability and I never really had that type of connection with another male figure figure or Mm -hmm. just someone that was older than me to like really show me that yeah i mean you would mention your brother a lot like alex and i would always be like oh dang this is a good person because you would say like you had a good conversation with your brother so uh i don't want to like uh diminish that because i think that was probably one of your this is outside of family right yeah yeah there you go so outside of, of family uh, because i didn't even have that with my family being the oldest it was like i mean i saw my brother's connecting really well with uh other young men and i was like how come i can't do this in high school like they have friends since like third fourth Mm -hmm. grade and like what is wrong with me and Mm -hmm. again i'll leave that to another episode um but it, it so many nights of partying drinking being drunk and whatnot obviously when people drink they get emotional they start to cry their demons start to come out and you start to like realize like dang dude there's a lot of hurt in this person right right and that was me a lot of the time (laughs) yeah and i mean that to segue out right like now fast forward like i'm in my own recovery process i'm sober and it's like at that time it would come out when i was under the influence Mm -hmm. because it's alcohol you know and everything that would come out I never talked about, you know, yeah. I never had a vulnerable conversation. I never allowed myself to cry. I never felt safe enough to cry with anyone. Mm-hmm. And me being the dramatic person growing up with novelas, <laughs> I was like, wow, I get to have a friend to talk about like emotions <laughs> and whatnot. And I've always, I've always been like, yeah, I want to have open Super conversation. Dramatic. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so I remember when he would start like, Uh, talking and crying and i was just like oh this is somebody that i can really talk to and be like no you got this whatnot and obviously to say those moments didn't come like easy no because they came with a lot of stupidity behind it yeah and i one that i always remember um and it's mine right that like driving drunk is one of the ones that I did a lot, right? Because I always uh, explain here in the podcast that like my 
probably most dangerous moment where I realized I had an alcohol problem was when I was driving from, uh, we drove to San Diego to a party. Well, mm-hmm. no, to a Chargers versus Bronco games. And we drove yeah. back to uh, LA. We could have easily gone home. Right. But we were like, we want to keep on partying. Yeah. Granted, we were partying since like 8 a.m. That's what alcohol does. You yeah. know, once you start, it's like you got to keep going. At least for me. And I mean, maybe for us, we kind of like fed off of each other's energy. Yes, we did. We did. If one of us was down, we're like, you're not down. Let's freaking go. And then vice versa. And that's how we the whole like you're not down. That was our cue to like, fuck, let's fuck shit up. Yeah. Like the whole just saying you're not fucking down. (laughs) I'm fucking down. (laughs) Anywho. So uh, we went to the UCLA party with the uh, brothers, two of our uh, other friends for turning brother stayed in the car to sleep rafa and shafiq yeah and we went and partied we left two in the morning to the point where i was driving drunk and got on the other side of the freeway like literally we were going westbound and mm-hmm. traffic was coming eastbound if it weren't for shafiq who opened his eyes literally saw a car coming because it, it was honking he sh- uh, swerved and i was because i was knocked out behind the wheel and he's all like yo what the fuck got out he was obviously way more sober than i was because he had already been asleep for like three hours yeah uh and yeah he drove that's when i realized i had like an alcoholic problem that i was that i needed to work with there were moments with you do you remember probably one of like the bigger moments well there was a lot of moments (laughs) so (laughs) i'm talking about uh new year's okay yeah New Year's. Do you want to explain that one? What what happened? Or what do you remember? I mean, a lot of these moments, you know, it would lead to blackouts. Mm-hmm. And it would lead to, like, not even knowing what it was that you were... You just weren't conscious, yeah. you know, when it came to the alcohol. But that specific experience or that moment was, like... Near death. Near death. And I don't even... Well, I mean, I'm going to just go into it. So, like, you know, we... It was New Year's Eve. Got drunk. I really don't remember the steps that led up to this point, but I just remember being in a garage, partying with our friends, welcoming in the new year. And then the next thing that I remember was me walking by the train tracks and me having like this. From San Bernardino to Riverside, which is a 20 mile difference. Yeah. And I just, in my mind at that time, the intentionality that I had was like, I'm going to jump in front of the train. And it's like, where did that come from? You know? And it's like, that was beyond more than just me being blacked out and drunk, but there was a, a lot more happening. And yeah. so, like, that was very scary. And I really appreciate you for being there and yeah. being with me and not allowing me to, like, do that. I, I remember it, and I guess because I'll, I'll say the, the other side of it because I was still drunk, but I was a lot more sober than you were because uh, I would drink to get drunk. You would drink to black out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm at some point I would also drink to blackout, but, uh, this was new year's and for some reason I was drinking, but I wasn't like blacking out that day. And I kind of remember like it was, you know, almost sunrise, you know, yeah. it was like close to sunrise. It was like four in the morning when we were leaving the house. And I was walking, like we were already in your car and then I jumped out of the car. I want to say when we stopped by the train tracks, we were, and then you started following me in your car. So this is what happened. We were, um, we were driving back from San Bernardino, no, from Rialto. And we were driving somewhere because we ended up in Riverside. We were going somewhere, clearly not back home, which we should have, because your house was like five minutes away. 
uh, from where the party was. Yeah. Uh, and literally off of an exit, you just decided to get off the freeway. Yeah. And because we were like, oh, let me just take a piss and whatnot. And you took a piss and then you ran off. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, obviously, I was one tired fucking my drunkenness and me quito real quick yeah. and then i was chasing you because you were like running up the the hills and i had to take an exit i couldn't run up with the car with you yeah right so i was trying to find you and um i think i was calling you and calling and you're like i'm by here and over here yada 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 this and this i go and find you and you're by some train tracks yeah and you're like i'm like what are you doing and we have a conversation it's like i'm just gonna wait for the train and i was like what and then literally it was it was screaming like no get back in the car and then it's like nah i'm gonna wait for the train then you hear the train from a distance mm -hmm. and it's coming closer it's still afar mm -hmm. and literally like you step in front of the train tracks and i like grab you and i put you in the the car and i locked the doors yeah and he's like no let me like you were literally like let me in let me in like i want to go and i literally put my car in the middle of the train tracks again i was i don't know what i was thinking the dramatic yeah. person in me was like all right if you're gonna want to be in front of the train tracks then i'll be in front of the train tracks as well but then i want you to be conscious that you're also going to be responsible to whatever happens to my car and myself yeah and your face was just like uh, and literally the train was coming i was like please say something please say something yeah and you said something and we backed out we kept going and we did have a couple of stops where you did run off and uh and it was already like 6 a.m yeah and uh i would literally leave my car parked in the middle of the street where it was red light and then just grab you and throw you in the back uh, yeah so there was a lot of those moments but i think that one was um yeah it was one of those bigger moments and it was like one of the beginning moments and to be quite honest with you like i never really like i did talk about that and i did talk about like many of these experiences in therapy already however that specific moment like just kind of reflecting back and thinking of what i had to put you through like i mean i'm sorry honestly like i'm sorry for having to like put you through that <sighs> i mean i have to be honest i don't fully remember like the full beginning and middle and the end of why that led up to that point what i can say is that um that's why i'm sober you know like this is why i no longer drink this is why i am fully in my own recovery journey and i'm healing through a lot of these experiences that that's just you know from you and i that yeah. you were able to witness but there's been a lot of moments like this where i've been able like to go through or mm -hmm. went through with other people or just alone yeah. sometimes. So and I felt guilty when you were alone and going through those times because literally we would hang out all the time and when we wouldn't hang out and things happened, I was just like, oh, fuck, I could have probably prevented this. Yeah. Or I could have probably, like, been there, you know? And, uh, I mean, but to say... There, there's so much that goes into that, though, yeah. right? Like, I mean, we can spend a different episode or a different podcast just educating, like, the effects of alcohol and educating the the mental health aspect of things i mean yeah. there's just so much that goes into that just for people to understand that that didn't just happen because it just happened like there's so much more that goes into that what was your breaking point where you said i need to stop drinking alcohol because to me it was what helped me which was funny enough you 
when in 2016 2016 or 2015 i remember february came around and february was uh quaresma so lent and you said i'm gonna give up alcohol and i was already graduated because i graduated 2014 you were still in school and i was like well fuck none of my Mm -hmm. friends are gonna drink i'm gonna give up drinking for lent too Mm -hmm. and the 40 days went by and i honestly started to feel different and i was like oh i'm gonna stop drinking Mm -hmm. and i was like i'm gonna commit myself to stop drinking for a whole year and see what that does with leaving alcohol that also caused some distance within uh our friends like most of my friends because everybody was still partying everybody was still an undergrad and it was like well i can't really connect with these people anymore because all they want to do is drink and i'm trying to be sober for a year that way i can control the urges of alcohol and Mm -hmm. not wanting to drink anymore yeah you know i never wanted to drink to be mm. honest, that's interesting. I, I um, I started drinking at an early age, age fourteen. You know, freshman year of high school, and the main reason why I started drinking was because everybody else was doing it. And like, uh, I grew up in my neighborhood. There was a bunch of us. There'd be like a good ten, twelve people always hanging out, like on the weekends. And you know, of course, there was a lot of house parties. There was a lot of like, you know, people younger than me and people older than me drinking, smoking, and then doing other stuff at that time too. And I, before entering high school, I was always the, what they would call straight edge. Mm -hmm. They would call me like, oh, like, no, he doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't do the other things that they would do. And I was like, I almost felt left out and I felt like I needed to be a part of the group, you know? And this is something that I didn't really like talk about until later on in life, but that's the reason why I started drinking because of the pressure mm-hmm. the social pressure just growing up like it being around me and so like once I started like I just kept going yeah. you know but I've also I've also seen like before I started drinking just what the drinking would do like with family mm-hmm. you know with my dad with you know like Theos at the parties things like that like every t- <laughs> and my mom would always tell me like no vayas a tomar no estás tomando like just don't do it mm-hmm. and I'd be like mm, like at first I was like okay I'm not going to yeah. And then I started doing it, and then she would tell me that, and then I would start to lie to her that I'm like, no, I don't. But I mean, it, was, it got to a point where I was lying to her, and she hit me. <laughs> yeah, and I started living, like, this double life. You yeah. know, there was, like, the side of, like, my family and even friends, they would see me as, like, the innocent, the, in, the, the innocent one. The guy who went one. to college, the guy who made it, the guy from the Rialto who was doing better for himself. Yeah, and then deep down, I was living another life where it's like, no, I was actually doing a lot of fuck shit. Yeah. You know, I was, like, doing a lot of, like not a lot of drugs but i was drinking i was causing a lot of rage chaos yeah xyz but from the very beginning just going back to the core of it all like i never really wanted to drink and then as time went on even through college even after college i started my master's program like a lot of these experiences that happened to me of like near-death experiences like the one we just talked about or just i would wake up with full of regret guilt or just because I did something. What you know? made you go into uh, counseling? Because so many people would be like, hey, you're so distant from your emotions. You didn't really want to talk about it. So when did you decide like, yo, I want to get into therapy or I want to get into counseling? That's a very good question. Um, I want to say it was when I started advising middle school kids. Mm-hmm. And it was through a job that you hooked me up with. <laughs> and I think at that time you were working with Europe. I was. And then you were working in San Bernardino with the middle school. And then you, 
you know, I, I started kind of expressing to you, like, you know, I'm kind of curious in, yeah. at that time, sociology and doing social work and wanting to see if I can work with, with kids and families and, like, yeah. and it also came just from my own, like, personal, mm-hmm. my, my, yes, my willingness, but also, like, my personal, like, hmm, like, I want to be able to help people, like, I wish I was able to get the help, yeah. you know, like, I want to be that person there was this quote a long time ago that I used to love all the time when I was going through grad school, but it's be the, be the person, um, be who you needed when you were younger. Yeah. Sorry. Be who you needed when you were younger. And I felt like when I was younger, I really needed like someone to provide that safe space for me. And so like, as I started to think more and more of it and I started getting into the academic advising with middle school kids, I started seeing the difference that I was making in these kids life. And Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, I think counseling may be something that I can do. Yeah. And that's kind of what opened up the door to like me being a therapist because there's a whole yeah. a whole lot of things. Which is that funny because that. like when you, uh, I think they were looking for a job where you said you wanted to see if you could work at a middle school because one, they were, it was like trying trying to get paid more or trying to also, I don't know. To me, it was like, oh, hell yeah. I'm going to have my best friend like working with me. Well, fuck it. Yeah. Uh, but obviously there was way much more that you wanted to explore and, and you found that in, um, at the middle school so i'm I'm glad you did um then you finished your counseling program mm-hmm. and i think there was another turning point where you decided to go completely sober you know going back to my sobriety like i was telling you like originally i didn't want to drink or i didn't want to do any of these things and there was always a voice inside that i would either feel or not necessarily hear but there was also always something in me that said like you know you just need to stop doing all of what you're doing yeah and i never really like acknowledged it i never really like gave it the time that it needed so there was always that voice in me of like i'm gonna be sober i'm not going to be doing any drugs or any alcohol and as more time progressed and i started getting older it started not just impacting like like my social mm-hmm. friends but also like my career yeah my relationship you know like and even with family mm-hmm. you know like there was there there's been some times that you know maybe i don't i have shared with you but just like a lot of the things that for example i remember this one time where i think my family called you asking if i was with you yeah and i lied and there the, the police have showed up to my house right yeah. and so that day that morning i oh, woke shit. up yeah i woke up on the sidewalk like completely almost like butt mm-hmm. naked mm-hmm. on the sidewalk like how did i get there yeah you don't remember and i don't remember fully like how that happened oh, yeah. but that day when i got home my grandma's both of my grandma's from my mom and my dad's side were at my house with my mom waiting for me to come home and as soon as i got home like my grandma's just started crying Mm -hmm. and I just, I don't, I mean, I'm feeling emotional now, like just kind Mm -hmm. of remembering like that specific moment, but it wasn't affecting my family. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like this alcohol, I didn't have control over it. It, I would start drinking and I wouldn't want to stop. And so like the more and more problems that would come up, it always involved alcohol. So it just came to a point where it's like, I can't, it doesn't serve me. 
you know, it it's impacting my career. It's impacting like my relationships with my family, like friends, and more importantly, like it's impacting my relationship with my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I want I don't I don't want to continue to live that. It's not worth it. Yeah. And also, it's like it's life or death. Yeah. No, I remember that uh, vividly. I think it was your brother who reached out via uh, Facebook, and I was just like, "What is going on?" And like i mean i was able to call your girlfriend and it was like let's find him i remember she's like oh uh, i think she's with this person <clears throat> give me that person's number and i called and i was screaming at her friend it was her yeah. friend i didn't even know her then i'm like where is he well he just walked where the fuck is he <laughs> <laughs> like his family's looking for him the police yada 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 this and this and that and yeah i don't know um but <laughs> it was i mean and, and that, I mean, goes, I that, that goes back to like just gratitude and just me being grateful for you as a friend you yeah. know and you know not just the best friend but your family bro yeah you know it's like in, there there's not that many people that you're gonna meet in this lifetime where they're gonna be able to show up for you like that mm-hmm. you know and you really showed up for me in times where i needed people to show up for me mm-hmm. and i really appreciate you for that and i feel like i can say the same yeah no likewise likewise um you moved after you completed your counseling program. Obviously, there was a transition to you going into uh, working with with uh, adolescents, mm-hmm. right? Who who had problems with addiction. How did you feel, or how do you feel working with these kids, knowing that you yourself had issues in the past? Does it give you a uh, more grounding, like some connection? Well, it, it goes back to like service and, you know, in, in the recovery world, like just being able to be of service to other people. And so like, it's just nice. Not only is it nice, but it's very empowering and very rewarding for me to be able to hold space for not just families, but kids knowing that like for me in my experience, when I started using was at age 14 and a lot of these kids I feel like they start either at that age or earlier I mean you'd be very surprised just some of the stories that I've heard or just some of the families that I've worked with um but just going back to like that question is just it feels very empowering it feels like I'm being able to guide and support yeah do you ever share I mean I don't know as a therapist can you share like hey you you could share there is self-disclosure it really is depending on the case it really goes back to your judgment as a therapist to be able to know when to share when not to share um so it just really depends i want to i think you going through therapy you being there there was a turning point obviously when i moved to la to pursue my dream and i obviously have to thank the fraternity i have to thank you more than anything because when there was no people okay so just backstory when i wanted to get into the industry obviously one of the biggest things that i had to do and when i was working with univision as an unpaid volunteer i wasn't even an intern i would volunteer my time but with that being said they would throw events and in those events there's not a lot of people that from Univision Corporate because it's also volunteer time for them. They have mm-hmm. this event and the people who are organizing it, but then to logistically run everything, it takes a lot of hands. So then they would look towards me to help. And what would I do? I would bring people from the fraternity, from other sororities, depending on where they were, and I would bring them to help uh, the people at Univision because it would look make me look good. And when people 
couldn't come or I didn't have any people, you were always there. You were always willing to go and, you know, help me in my dream yeah. uh, more than anything. But there was... Uh, you worked really hard for it. <laughs> I remember you put in a lot of work for that. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it definitely took time, but I'm glad I was able to say what I've always said because when people asked me uh, in college and even in high school... And even other brothers in other chapters, because when they would call me and they'd be like, oh, what do you want to do? And you go like, oh, I want to work at Univision or yeah. like, oh, that's my dream job or uh, radio entertainment. And some people would laugh. Some people would be like, oh, that's cool. But then and funny enough, people would make fun of me when I started my YouTube channel, my first YouTube channel, which was called Echale. Uh, now it's become a podcast. Yeah. Um, but they would be like they would make fun of it. And it, it kind of hurt at the same time. But you, Alex and Jaime, were always very supportive in it and um thank you for that but the turning point was i moved to la and obviously mm. there was a lot of like solitude and getting to know each other you going through your counseling program mm. i think not only helped our relationship as friends but it helped the relationship amongst a lot of the brothers in the fraternity yeah. because little by little you started expressing how you felt about certain you know my count shout out to my counseling program because that was yeah. honestly the very beginning of my healing and my own process of being able to talk about all these challenges that i had before entering that program yeah like you know that program they we would have classes where we would have like group therapy sessions type almost or where you would get very vulnerable and you know the professors or even we would do like small exercises to be able to just intense yeah i mean you're wanting to become a therapist and so the one of the main things that is very helpful as becoming a therapist is knowing what it's like to be on the other side right which means go to your own therapy how was that being reluctant and now being vulnerable in front of people? You know, at first, I, I, again, it goes back to like me not feeling comfortable, safe, mm -hmm. and someone like providing that space. Like mm -hmm. I didn't really know that that was um, out there. You know, I didn't have the education. Yeah. And so like therapy to me was, I was never like resistant towards it. I just didn't know it existed. I didn't know that there was like, Someone that you can talk to about your mental health or about like your emotions, you know, like I didn't, I never really understood that. Yeah. And so later in life, mm -hmm. towards the end of my college experience and then applying to my master's program. Mm -hmm. And that's how I started being more curious because I wanted, I wanted someone like that. And then also I wanted to be that for other people. Yeah. And with that being said, in, I was saying like you really changed the dynamic in the friend group because I was in L.A., of course. I was going through, I mean, I didn't start therapy till like last year, but I was already semi-emotionally intelligent, but because I was able to, I guess, break away from the fraternity, break away from you, break away so that I wasn't that annoying friend. Like I could, I was chasing my dreams. So I had to learn to be independent and be in solitude, which also sucked because <laughs> now, you know, like being in L.A. can get very lonely when mm -hmm. your life is in the Inland Empire. But. I remember a specific phone call and you, I don't, I think you might have already graduated from your program or you were nearly, and I was with my coworker at the time and we were on the phone and then you said, like I said, bye. And you said, oh, see you later, bro. I love you. Mm -hmm. And then you clicked. 
and my friend was there, my yeah. my coworker, and I was like, he didn't say no homo, like, like, <laughs> like, and then I looked at my friend, and I'm like, oh, he's he's my guy, like you know, kind of trying to, yeah, d- like, hey, I, we're, I, I, we're not gay, like that's just my friend and, and whatnot, and uh, I I think you normalized it because now within our friend group we do say more constantly, and as men, I love you. Yeah, I love you because we yeah. actually do mean it because we lacked it as kids mm-hmm. that we want our future kids to grow up around men who constantly say I love you. And you were the mm-hmm. first person that I remember because now I'll say it to Jimmy, I'll say it to Alex, mm-hmm. I'll say it to other brothers, I'll say it to you. And it's because we actually mean it. Yeah. Yeah. And and it also goes back to like our our culture, you mm-hmm. know, our society, like the way they were raised, like we, we grow up so emotionally immature without, you know, just being very stereotypical, ignorant, like mm-hmm. not being inclusive, like us saying no homo after, like, yeah. it's just, you know, well. That in itself, it's a whole like. Yeah, that's a whole even different topic, different conversation right but just going back to like me saying i love you mm-hmm. because i do and you know i love like all my friends all my family like i again it goes back to like my own healing and me allowing myself to feel and be human yeah. like i always felt like there was this pressure on me and i never allowed myself to fully express and understand my emotions be able to acknowledge what was showing up for me mm-hmm. and let alone be able to talk about it yeah. And so I started just getting myself in the habit. It felt very uncomfortable. It still does feel uncomfortable. Hell I'm yes. I'm still healing. You know, I'm still going through like this process and this change and all of these like lifelong transformations. But the point is, is that like I'm willing to step into it. Yeah. And you're w- more, and because you're willing to this day to step into it, I think it gives uh, me, I could speak probably for Jaime, uh, Alex, like, the opportunity to also step into it i know like uh jaime's girlfriend also is a a counselor right Mm -hmm. um but so she encourages it and a lot of us are now more open to therapy not because it's a trend thing but because we want to do it for ourselves and because we see the benefits and that our friends who are counselors or therapists like hey you should go to therapy so it's like now being encouraged Mm -hmm. that you even pushed your family into it yeah yeah because it all goes back to like I want to break patterns, you know, I want to break cycles, I want to destigmatize even mental health and being a man and being able to express your emotions and not make others believe that that makes you less of a man, it just makes you human, Yeah. right? Like, we don't even have to include gender into it, um, that's a whole other topic we could even talk about, but yeah, it just goes back to, like, I want to create that change and rupture that yeah because you know we all deserve the space you deserve the space i deserve the space and it's just i want to be able to provide the space so that others don't go through that Mm -hmm. through their through their world alone yeah and i think it's important that you as a male latino therapist uh you know so if people want to like reach out and whatnot uh we'll get into that um, but as a male therapist, seeing that representation, when I started therapy, I wanted a male Latino therapist. And I was like looking for one uh, because I wanted them to understand me culturally. I wanted to under- them to understand me as a man, mm-hmm. like the the struggles that I was going through internally and whatnot. So when I found one, obviously uh, you gravitate towards the last name and then you realize like this is the most whitewashed 
Mexican or Latino, <laughs> which, all right, cool, whatever, but it's not what I'm looking for. I want yeah. somebody who's got their raices bien presentes. Mm -hmm. So... Obviously, now my therapist, uh, we I do it all in Spanish. She speaks Spanish, and you told me about her. And she's great because I'm learning about myself a lot faster than I was with the male therapist. And this female therapist has the empathy, the cultural background, and is speaking to me in a uh, language that I practice at work, but it's not the one that I practice mm -hmm. all day. Because right. a lot of people are like, oh, your Spanish is great. Yeah, but I practice it from... 5 to 10 a.m. and maybe a little bit after and maybe a little bit just with my parents. But the one that I use the most is English. Yeah. You know, so I really, really appreciate that. What would you recommend to those people who are hesitant about therapy? Ask yourself why. You know, just I would really encourage people to ask themselves why they're so hesitant or, you know, do some more research too. You know, like even if it feels uncomfortable for you to ask, a friend or a family like what therapy is just go on google and do some research and you even even through that like look into some books or look into some some podcasts or even yeah. this podcast you know some of the episodes that you've been able to like talk more about therapy yeah you can start there yeah and i definitely wanted this podcast to be obviously it change it changes and there's a lot of like self-doubt and whatnot but i really loved this conversation that we're having because it I feel like it defines what Echale is. It's the whole, like, Echandole ganas a la vida one episode at a time through Latino experiences and stories. Because uh, a big part of, I consider myself like a very faithful person, not necessarily religions person, but I do feel the power of testimony and the power of communication, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, storytelling heals, which is what a lot of people did in the past through storytelling. Yeah. Um, Is there any places that you recommend people look into if they want to start therapy? Uh, there is. You can, for other Latino folks, um, latinxtherapy.com, that you can go on there and just look for a therapist, age, your preference. You can go ahead and tailor it to what it is that you're looking for. There's also psychologytoday.com where you can go and do some more exploration if you have insurance, if you don't have insurance. And... If you have insurance, you can also start there. Yeah. You know, and I'll make sure to put like those in the show notes so that way you guys can go ahead and look at that. Uh, one thing for this season that I want to do is ask a question or like a final question, mm -hmm. but it's going to be a question from a previous guest and then you get asked the next guest their question. Okay. So this is. I like uh, that. That's fun. Yeah. It's different, right? <laughs> What was the most exciting thing you've done this year? This year? Um, I'm sorry I'm thinking no worries keep thinking that means you need more exciting things in your life <laughs> no it <laughs> just, just means I need time to process that question and see what comes to yeah, my mind the therapist <laughs> answer um, I want to say going to the Bahamas with my girl oh, that was right. fun yeah that, we had a good long week out there so it was nice just being out there you know uh, did you swim with pigs we did we swam with with pigs and right, and pigs. sharks There's oh, like oh. some mini sharks. I forgot ah, the okay. name of the, the the breed or the kind of shark it was, but yeah, yeah that was fun. What's a question that you would like to ask our next guest? Um, going into the new year. What's a habit that you are wanting to break? Mm. Do you want to answer that? Do I want to answer that? Yeah. I think right now is... <clears throat> 
something very small and simple would be drink more water. Mm. I think I really let myself <laughs> kind of not go. I didn't let myself go, but I am not drinking enough water. Yeah. But now aside from that, like I really, I've, I've always wanted to be that 4am person. And yeah. I've always talked about it. I've always like, like the idea of starting my day earlier and feeling more productive as I start my mornings. So I'm going to actually try to hold myself accountable to getting that done. That's awesome. Seeing how that goes. I think I I would say that's a habit. I think for me, I want to talk to my therapist (coughs) about this because I feel like I need to have a better relationship with food and just snacking. Mm -hmm. And like, and I don't know if that's like, oh, in the spectrum of eating disorder. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do do a lot of snacking and I want to do less of it. Uh, We were literally at a party yesterday and uh, they brought out the bag of chips and I was just like, yes. Like just snacking, even though I'm like, I don't need them. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of our friends there, Adam, was like, he's like, I'm not really much of a snacker. And I was like, I w- and you're not really much of a snacker either. No. And I wish I was more like that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because I think the snacking is what really kills longevity in terms of your diet. Yeah. Well, it's nice to hear that you are going to talk to your therapist about that. Yeah. Well, I have some other things that I need to talk to her about first. But anything else you'd like to add? Um. You know, if, if any of you that are listening to this podcast episode, if you are like currently struggling or if you wanting to reach out to anyone, you know, 988 is a good crisis hotline that you can text and or call. Um, there's also, I don't really want to get into advertising, but you know, there's better help. Like there's oh, an yeah. app, right? Where yeah. you can go on there and you can really try to seek out a therapist. It can be virtual. Um, and again, just going back to like, I know that sometimes it can be very hard just talking about it. Mm-hmm. Start with listening to either a podcast, a book, follow any Instagram um, therapist. Like there's therapists that have their own accounts on Instagram that like promote some awareness. They teach you skills, things like yeah. that. You know, like start to explore. Yeah. And start and, there. And it and makes a difference. Yeah. And hopefully I am not stepping out of line, but hopefully soon and putting it out there to the world, a private practice for yourself. So anybody else who would want to reach out, I think that is also a good. It's in the works. So hopefully um, by the time this goes live, maybe there's some more information that I can give you. And if not, then, you know. It's all God's timing. Right. Exactly. Well, man, thank you so much, hermano, for joining me on this episode of Echale Podcast. Please let us know what you thought of this episode. I think it would really help me, <laughs> you know, fight that imposter syndrome because I, <laughs> I really felt this episode. I liked it. Yeah, did you? I mean, I mean how'd you feel? It was all right. Uh, whatever. Nah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, before we go, though, I'm very thankful for you because uh-huh. we did start with thankfulness. Oh, yeah. I don't really know if we got into thankfulness. I think fully. this whole story was you know well me thanking you for just opening that conversation to be more vulnerable as a man and being more vulnerable like with my father like i finally said two years ago Mm -hmm. because of you i love you and that was like so difficult and it really started the journey internally because it was uh during the pandemic i was before the pandemic but when you said i love you but during the pandemic where i really started to internalize like yo like what just happened and how can if he's being more emotionally mature how can i not mimic that but find my own way Hmm. so so thank you for that uh, yeah well you're welcome bro <laughs> and I'm thankful for your friendship and yeah. I still love you love you too and love you all thank you guys for listening to HLA Podcast don't forget to share the podcast subscribe like do whatever you want with it it's yours